guy named Wilf Chipman, who was a Canadian in British Columbia, and told me I have to go there. And I studied alchemy with him. This is about Thoth. He met and, Thoth uh, in 1972. <laughs> he was really doing it. Though he wasn't yeah. sure himself, he was really doing it. We figured out how to turn mercury into gold, which is just uh, the process itself is not as important as the understanding of how it does that. So you can fly it from this level. It's really the process of how this level of consciousness goes into Christ consciousness. And by understanding how mercury goes into gold or lead into gold, you can understand how that takes place on a human level. The truth is that alchemy is not just that, though it's been centered on that. All chemical levels, all chemical levels whatsoever, and all chemical reactions have their counterparts in human experience. Although alchemy is pretty much focused on this one, one step because it's the most important one for us at this time. I studied this with him for two years. Uh, he had a little house in, in uh, a little ordinary house in Burnaby, uh, Canada. <laughs> I don't know if I ever said this before, but I'll say it. Burnaby, and, Canada. Uh, and up in this room, he had this, uh, this bubble machine, this machine filled with liquid, and mercury would rise in there, and as it would, it would change different colors. And when it got to the top, it would turn to solid gold and sink back down. So he had these little bubbles coming up and turning into gold, and collect a whole bunch of gold out there. And every day he'd collect these things up. And uh, he built this uh, chem chemistry lab. Now, seriously, you go, you would go into this uh, house, and by the very house, you'd go into this closet. He got his elevator. He did this incredible space age. <laughs> but he spent millions of dollars on uh, building this place hidden in the rest of the world. And it was huge. It's got the size of this whole room in there, filled with everything you can think of, electron balances to the and everything that you ever need or want. And uh, anyway, I was studying uh, alchemy with him, and about two years down the line, one day, pretty far down the line, we were in Nelson, British Columbia, and I was, uh, he wanted to teach me a particular meditation. And so I sat down and learned this meditation. It was an open-night meditation where we were looking into each other's eyes. And as I started doing this meditation, we did it for about an hour or two. I don't know how long it was sometime, but it was a long time. We are staring in. The room had gone away and everything. All there was was a certain size or something. When suddenly uh, something happened that never happened before, and... Uh, he just disappeared. And at first I thought it was just a phenomenal effect in my eyes, watching this guy's eyes for so long. And he was gone for a long time. And finally I reached over and I kind of went like this. <laughs> and there was nobody there. You know, he was just gone. And it was like, wow. And, you know, but this time I, my concentration was back in the room. I was really looking on the spot and there was nobody there. And after a few minutes, this person reappeared there. He and uh, only it wasn't him, it was somebody else. Totally did, I wasn't even close. And he was about 35 years old, this guy was maybe 65 or 70 years old. And, uh, and he wasn't Anglo white type, he was uh, dark skinned. And, uh, and he looked very Egyptian. He was not very tall, maybe five foot three or four. And he was clean shaven, but with a long beard that was tied in five places. And got down off his chin, real thick, tight down. And uh, he wore a very simple tan, long sleeve pants and shirts that looked like they were made out of cotton. Real simple clothing. And 
the thing about me that this person that just grabs my heart was his eyes. He, he didn't have anything going on. Arthur's got stuff going on, you know, so it's kind of hard to look at some people's eyes because there's more stuff going on. As you look either or, you see more and more stuff. But what? But when, uh, you know what I mean? It's like looking in the, it was just like looking into the eyes of a baby. You know, if you look in baby's eyes, they're like, oh, you look in there, you know, it's okay to look down in there and see you're okay. And, uh, uh, and that's just how he was. And I never, ever met an adult like that before. Not even any of my teachers, nobody had ever seen it before. I was really impressed with that. And uh, he told me that there were three atoms missing in the universe, and I didn't know if I knew where they were. <laughs> 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 so he gave me a very interesting experience, which I'm not going to talk about here, but when I got back from that experience, I understood what he meant. And I, I said, okay, I understand. And I told him what, he, what I had learned, and he just smiled and bowed at me and disappeared again. And a few minutes later, I thought this teacher came back. And I never knew who that guy was. I was studying with five different teachers at the other time, and beside, four other ones besides well, and uh, and so when the angels who were coming in two and three times a day at that t at that point, uh, I never asked them who he was, and time went by, and I didn't do it initially, and so as time went by, I just kind of let it go, and he never came up again. And months went by, and then years went by, until finally it was uh, twelve years went by, and one day. Twelve years later, uh, he reappeared, and, uh, and my life changed dramatically. That was on November 1st of 1984, and, uh, which I will tell the story at the right time about what happened when we came back in. Santa Field. Okay. Those came in. And uh, back in, again, he was gone for 12 years. He came back in uh, in 1984, in November 1st. And uh, over a period of several months, uh, he began to teach me or instruct me in sacred geometry. I had been instructed from the angels from the very, very first. It was the angels who actually gave me the breathing that were teaching him. And they taught me a great deal of uh, the sacred geometry. But when he came in, he says, okay, I want to see what you got. And I had to, I just gave it to him, and it's like a little, little ball of light. And he looked at the whole thing and says, told me that I had, was missing a whole lot. And so uh, he sat me down every day for several months. He would come into the room, sit down with me on a pillow, and, uh, and have me make drawings. And I did this for day after day after day after day after day. And after a long period of time, I came up with this drawing here, which was the end result of maybe three months of work or something. Of course, this is after uh, I was in, uh, already, I'd already been working for uh, 12 years. And, uh, and then I came up with this one. And when he got done, he said, this was a very special 
sacred geometry drawing. It was one of the most important ones. It was the first chromosome in the human body. Each, each of your chromosomes are actually geometrical patterns. And in the geometry of the pattern, which you will understand this when you get done here, in the very geometry of the chromosome is contained the instructions on how not to just make the human body, but the entire reality, everything, including the quasars and, and uh, the planets and galaxies and everything. And the plants, all the other life forms, not just human, everything's all in there. Only there are certain levels that are missing. There are certain aspects that are missing. Uh, the first time that consciousness is self-aware, which we were talked about as the Australians, they have 42 plus 2 chromosomes. When it jumps up one more, we gain two chromosomes, and we go to 44 plus 2 is, which is what we have. When we go to Christ consciousness, we'll gain two more chromosomes and go to 46 plus 2. And then there will be this state further down the line where we will go to 48 plus 2, and then finally the fifth state of that we pass through, we pass through these five states, uh, will come to 50 plus 2. 52. And, uh, and by the way, when I first put this out, which was over seven and a half years ago, there was no scientific proof whatsoever that what I was saying had any basis in, in biology at all. <laughs> until in the last couple of years, someone tested the aboriginals in Australia. Nobody's ever done it. I guess nobody ever figured out and found out that they all have 42 plus 2 chromosomes. They don't have 44 plus 2 like that. And since then, they found a couple of tribes in Africa, I understand, that also have the 44 plus 2. Got many different names all around the world and in various places of the universe, but uh, one that he called it was the flower of life. So it's also been called uh, the language of silence and the language of light. Because it is a language, as you're about to see, and it's a language that's hidden underneath. Uh, the, like the words that I'm saying right here. A statement that was pretty outrageous from normal ways of thinking. He says, everything is in here. All the laws of physics, all structure, all crystal structure, all biological life forms and their, the very shape of every little detail in their bodies, uh, all planetary bodies, all atomic structure, everything, the entire reality, all everything that created it was in this one single image. And um, that sounds like a pretty powerful statement. Uh, until you really begin to see how this works. When he got done teaching all this, he then told me that I would find this image in, in Egypt. And that was, there was two times when I doubted him. And uh, I doubted him on that one because I, I thought I had read just about everything there was in Egypt. And, and that did not look like an Egyptian symbol to me. It looked more Christian or something, but it did not look uh, Egyptian. And uh, he just said, you'll find it in Egypt and, and left. And uh, since then, by the way, we found it all over the world, just about everywhere. You'll see at the very end of this, you'll see some of the places that we found it in, but almost everywhere. And um, well, two weeks later, I'm sitting in Taos, New Mexico, in Smith's food store, uh, buying my, some groceries, 
and uh, Katrina Raphael's friend of mine who wrote, writes books on uh, crystals was in there. And I had taken her to Egypt the first time she went, and she had just come back from Egypt the second time. And, um, and she's a woman who uh, takes a camera and just, yeah. just, just starts, you know, loading it up and, yeah. and she takes ah, pictures. And she was sitting there at the counter taking 36 out of time and put them on a stack and she had a stack of pictures a good 12 inches high or so. She was still stacking them up when I came up to her. And we started talking and saying hello, how are you doing, that kind of stuff. And she said she just got back from Egypt. And then she says, oh, by the way, she says, she, she has an angel that, that uh, has guided her into writing the books that she wrote and gave her the information that she wrote and told her how to get the information through the crystals that she wrote. And uh, I believe that the angel's name is Sorel, I think. But anyway, she said that uh, Sorel told her when she was in Egypt that she was to give me a photograph as soon as she saw me. And I said, oh, okay, give me the photograph. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, I don't know which one it is. So she turns around away from the things, goes to and pulls one out at random and hands it to me. And when she did, she handed me this photograph, which was the flower of life on one of the oldest walls in Egypt. That wall is about 6,000 years old. And, uh, and she didn't know, at that time, she didn't know what I was doing. She had no idea. It didn't mean, that thing didn't mean a thing to her at all. But to me, it was like, Wow. <laughs> if you could pick one photograph in the world, that one, you got me pretty good on that one. Later, uh, I went to that place. I went back again. I had to go there. Once I found out it was there, I had to go find out what was there. And I went back again. And where that was located, this is in Abydos here. And, uh, and this is from the Dog Star here. <laughs> Which is serious. <laughs> and uh, behind, this is uh, Seti the first temple in Abydos, and behind that, there's actually three temples. There's a Seti the first temple goes like this. There's three temples. This is where we're looking right at, like this right now. And there's a real ancient, one of the oldest temples in all of Egypt sits back here. It's called the Osiris. It's where Osiris supposedly was put back together. Uh, if you know that story where he was cut into 14 pieces. And, uh, and this was like a really holy place to the ancient Egyptians. It was so holy that uh, uh, many of the, uh, the, uh, the kings... In the, in the olden days, uh, didn't have them, like, like uh, uh, Zorser, for example, who's men the same person, that he didn't uh, bury himself in, uh, in Saqqara, which is, he had himself buried here. And a lot of the, uh, the old kings did that, even though they built these huge things that would look like us where they would do it, they had themselves buried here or around here. Well, so Sari the First was building this because of this. And as he was building back in here, there was a little hill here. And as he was building into here, he discovered an even more ancient temple that they didn't know about here. And so he turned his temple and made an L-shaped temple, which is the only L-shaped temple in all of Egypt, which is part of the, uh, 
the proof that he uh, uh, didn't build this. Some people think that he faked this, but uh, uh, there's controversy over whether he did this or not. But this is, to me, is proof that he did not do it. Nowhere else has anyone ever made this L. He did the L, so he wouldn't have to go in here and mess up that other one. And there's one thing I want to say before I go into those temples in the back. This is the inside of the city of the first temple. Uh, what they have discovered in Egypt in the last few years, there's writing that goes to within maybe, uh, I don't know, from your knees all the way up to the top of this 35-foot uh, ceiling or whatever that is up there. And even up on, on the pillars way at the very top. And uh, when you... When you go to, who, who's been to Egypt here? Okay, there's quite a few, about 10, 12 people. You notice that you go to these temples, and the temp, many, many, many of the uh, figures that are on the wall, that are in the release, relief, or whatever, however they're on there, have been chipped away or destroyed. And for a long time, they may have told you, I don't know, that uh, it was because of uh, the Romans and other people who had come in here had destroyed these things. They now know it's not true. They know, they know it's not true beyond any doubt whatsoever, though they didn't know for a long time, because they've discovered in recent times that the language on the walls was placed there in such a way that there was a time frame. The language that is from about, roughly about this high down, was speaking of the past. And from about this high up to maybe... Uh, 10, 8, 9 or 10 feet, or maybe even 12 feet up the walls, was the present at the time the temple was built. And the stuff that is up further is future, what they think is going to happen in the future. Hmm. And they know, they now know that who did it, because there's only one person who could have known, who did it, or one group of people, and that was the priests themselves that created the temples or took care of the temples, they were the ones that went around and destroyed the writing on the walls because only the writing that was of the present time of the temples was touched. The past and the future was not touched. And somebody just going in there, like the Romans, just to go in there and cause hell, um, would not have known that or could not have picked that out so carefully to just touch the present. And to them, those what they put on those walls was uh, when they wrote what was going to happen in the future, uh, that was just it. That's what was going to happen. And if you don't believe that they can't see what was going to happen in the future, you're going to see a slide at the very, very end of this. I don't know how it came up on them. For those of you who saw the videos, you probably couldn't see it very clearly or not. But you'll see this one very clearly. There's going to be a slide at the very, very end of here. I'm going to wait till the end. i got to make it dramatic, it's more fun that way. Uh, where uh, that slide's going to be way up high above one of these pillars, way up there at the very, very top. And it'll be proof that they could clearly see into the future, no doubt. But you have to wait when we get there. This is the Siren Temple, which is this one back here. And it's uh, very, very old. You're not supposed to go down in there, but I couldn't stand it. So I dropped off this thing and ran inside and took a whole bunch of pictures before they dragged me out of there. And uh, I just had to see in there. 
The writing is so simple. It's so beautiful. It's just straightforward and clear. There's no junk in the middle. The writing in Egypt and in Samaria, uh, when it came out, was in its absolute, most sophisticated, perfect form, and then degenerated after that. Got worse. Came out in its absolute clearest form, with uh, no, also with no evolutionary pattern before. It just came out in one day. Just one day, suddenly. It's perfect writing the walls, with no, nothing leading up to it. No, uh, no evolution, absolutely zero, both in Samaria and in Egypt. And, uh, and, and then got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, and they never could understand that. You'll understand it in just a little bit. Anyway, uh, they got me out of there, and when they did, I went over to here. And this is the one, that's the back of the, of the say, the first temple. And I'm standing right now here, taking a picture toward here. And this temple was also called the Osirian Temple. And it was dedicated to resurrection, according to the hieroglyphics that are found in here. And uh, they, there's this ramp right here. And it was over here where that Flower of Life pattern was found. Now, this is the building when they first... Uh, excavated it, and uh, it was dry in there now. The, the Nile has changed its level and it's filling up with water. And they talk about these three steps, where these steps came up this way, the thing in the middle, and the steps go back down again. These three different levels, which are associated with the three levels of, of consciousness, uh, the 42, the 44, and the 46, that we're going through, which are all associated with resurrection. And this temple, this was done by Lucy de Lubitz, which was Swallow de Lubitz's daughter. She uh, reconstructed the, the temple from a blueprint plan and then discovered that it was based upon the, the sacred geometry of two back-to-back -back, uh, pentagons. Uh, she wasn't exactly sure why, all she knew that it was. But in today, uh, when we start talking about the grids, you'll discover that the grid, there's a, the grids I'm talking about, actual electro, electromagnetic fields of energy that exist around the Earth. Primarily, uh, these grids exist from about an average of about 60 feet in the Earth average to about 60 miles above the Earth. Every life form on the planet, even if there's only two bugs, has a grid stretching around the whole Earth. And these grids are all superimposed, stretching up for these 60 miles up, which causes like this light blue glow around the Earth. And the, uh, the highest, highest ones are the whales. And then the dolphins come after that, and then the humans. And there's three primary human ones. And uh, the newest one, which was just finished in 1989, after 13,000 years of, of work of constructing it, uh, is based on a stellated dodecahedron. And a stellated, well, we haven't talked about these kind of things yet. This is a dodecahedron, it's 12 pentagons. And this is an icosahedron, and if you notice in here, there's another pentagon and with five, five triangles in it. You see these, the similarity between these two shapes? If you were to take this out of there, this is called an icosahedronal cap in sacred geometry. 
And when you open up a icosahedral cap, it's these two back-to-back pentagons like this. And, and the icosahedral cap is the key to the Christ consciousness grid. Because if you take a dodecahedron and put one of these in each one of these things here, that's what the primary shape of the Christ consciousness grid is. And, uh, and so it was very uh, clever of them, from my way of thinking, to uh, base the geometries of this on something that would eventually, that they clearly understood even back then, and were on, in the process even back then of building, uh, and knowing that that uh, someday would be completed. This is the place where it was found, which was right here. And I had a little better camera than Katrina had. And you can see that there's actually two of these side by side here. And I took a, a shot right next to it over here. And though I know you can't see this real well, this one here is called the seed of life, which we're going to look at in just a little bit here. And there's all kinds of patterns all around here, which are all uh, based on this geometry. I put my camera around the side like this over here. I couldn't get around here because there was water and everything in there. Uh, just to see what was over there. And again, this is the back side. You can see this. Um, I know you can't see these real well, probably from where you are, but these are all symbols that you'll find all over the world in, church, in churches and everywhere. And they're all uh, understandings or, or what stuff that you're going to learn about in this workshop right here was on this wall. It was almost like this was a school that they were uh, teaching this kind of stuff. And after you go to one of these workshops and you go back there and you stand at the Siren Temple and you see all the symbols, you get this weird feeling because it's so familiar. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, holy cow. I mean, it's just like, you know what's on the walls. You know what they're talking about. Just, and they're talking about everything. Way over there, and this is with an 80 millimeter lens, way over here, there's this image that you can barely see. That's a, that's a long ways away, actually. And um, that image looks like this. This is what was drawn carefully, though, over on, over on there. And uh, that symbol is the symbol of the first Christians in the world before Christ was ever even born, which are the Coptics, which are also Egyptian. 500 years before uh, Christ was born, they were talking about him coming. And, uh, and this was the symbol that they used for him. And... Here it is etched in one of the Egyptian walls. That was another symbol for him, which was the triangle with the cross in the middle. Over here. And another symbol for him that the Coptics gave, a women. This is another one that, that they etched in one of the Egyptian walls. And notice here is not only the, that symbol, but at the top, six petals of the flower of life, which is the central core 
you'll see both these six petals and sometimes the six petals with these six outer ones around it. And many times you'll see them side by side. You can go into uh, St. Mary's, the, the, uh, once I climbed Mount Sinai, then, to, where Moses uh, had, saw the burning bush, and the bottom of there is, I think it's St. Catherine's, that's what it is. St. Catherine's is a, a monastery, it's a Coptic monastery. They won't let you take any photographs. But when you go in there, you'll see the six-petaled pattern on the wall along right next to it with the six-petal pattern with the six around it, showing that they had the understanding of, of the flower of life in there. And this was the, uh, here's another one. They sometimes would do it like this, where they would take four intersecting circles surrounded by a circle, another symbol for Christ. And this was another symbol for Christ. A fish that breathes air. It just happens to have 13 scales on it. <laughs> and, uh, and you can check this one out as an interesting bit of information. Uh, we, even today, Christ is, you'll see this symbol for Christ. You all are familiar with this one. You know, of the fish. And, uh, 200 years after Christ died, the Greek Orthodox Church took over the power of, of, the, of the Catholic Roman Church. And, uh, and at that time, there were many, many changes that were made. And one of them was uh, prior to those 200 years, in the first 200 years before then, Christ was not known just as the fish. Specifically, he was known as the dolphin. Exactly what that connection is, I don't know. That's for sure. And, uh, and then later, uh, it became you known that there was this fish connection. Uh, it could very well be that it was because uh, of uh, the time, the timing of Pisces. Before, uh, when Christ came in, he came in right at the beginning of Pisces. And um, before that time was Taurus. And, uh, and they worshipped the bull. And uh, the golden bull and all the stuff that was done on the earth, which, which was that time. And, uh, and when Jesus came and became the fish in the Pisces, uh, the bull was thrown down and was no longer uh, the symbol that was being worshipped. So, again, I mean, this first whole day... Since really the dawning of the age of Aquarius, the age of Aquarius, this is a flower that began, and I want to show you a relationship in the flower of life. The flower, um, uh, it was called the flower of life because the Seed that contains the image of the whole tree. You 
so there is this cycle pattern of the tree to a flower to a fruit to a seed to a tree again it goes around this particular kind of pattern and they felt that sacred geometry had that same kind of nature to it and to show that this was the flower here there's 19 circles in here surrounded by two and if you were to take out the center circle here and the six around the center. Can you understand that? This one, and then there is... The hologram. There's a center of one, two, three, four, five, six. Those six circles around there. If you take that out like this... Everybody get that? This is called the seed of life. They felt that it was the seed. Now that was another one that was, I told you, it was on that wall right next to the other one, right next to the flower. And the, uh, there's another image here that you're, some of you are familiar with probably, which is called the Tree of Life. And um, there are 10 spheres connected by these lines. Now originally there were 12 spheres. Um, no doubt about that, uh, because the oldest known tree of life is not Hebrew, but is Egyptian. And they're on three pillars at Luxor and three pillars at Karnak, Egypt, with the tree of life etched right on there, only with one sphere above and one sphere below. One up there and one below, up here. And... Uh, but the Jews and the Egyptians had a lot in common. They lived together for a long time. So I'm sure they were interconnected on this belief. And um, the Kabbalah, by the way, which is the main form that this, you will find this through today, which we tend to believe is, is, is Hebrew, um, has only been out, as my understanding, at least in present day time, for 1,700 years. These uh, pillars go way back thousands of years, at least almost 2,000 years before that. And um, now here's the thing. If you were to take the seed of life, if this is truly the seed and this image that I was just referring to, how a tree goes to a flower, to a, to a fruit, to a seed, and back to a tree, if that image is, is, that kind of metaphor is contained in the geometry, then the tree would have to be contained in the seed. Do you understand? in there would have to be, in the seed, would have to be the tree. That would have to be the source of the tree, of the Kabbalah, the tree of life. And so if it's true, then those two should superimpose geometrically. This should fit right over the top. And when you do it, you'll see that it fits just like a key, perfectly. Absolutely. Nothing left over. It's one point there, 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 here, 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 there, there, and the tenth one's down here, exactly on the two rims. If you fit 12, the 12 one that we found on the other one, the 12 one will fit right on the flower. Where exactly, where the 11th and the 12th one will fit precisely above and below, delineating where the flower is. So, you 
get a feel. This is just a real gentle feel of what sacred geometry is about. We're gonna, it's going to get a lot more hardcore, logical, preciseness is going to about to enter into all of this a little bit. These are wheels that are found on the ceilings of Egypt in tombs in, a f in the really old, old, oldest of all the tombs. Nobody knows, no, ar no Egyptian archaeologist on the planet that I know of knows what they are. And I've talked to many of the world-famous Egyptian archaeologists, and uh, they don't know. They don't know what they are, or why they are, or what they mean. But to me, I know where they came from. Uh, Thoth showed me where they, where they, how they were brought, extracted, and what they are. And uh, and slowly over time, I'll show you. But they're proof that the Egyptians just didn't know about the pattern of the flower of life, and didn't know about all this knowledge that we're about to tell you. They're proof because in order to get to those wheels, you've got to go deep, 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 deep into the sacred geometry until you get way down in there, and then you'll find these wheels that will come out, and they're these guys. And they're the key to the harmonics of music, but they're also the key to the harmonics of the dimensional levels. And what you see here, these are always on the ceiling, up in the sky. They're surrounded by the stars. And here, you, though you can't see this, is a procession of, of people with animal heads walking in a straight line. If this was a floor, it'd be about like that. And they have these red-orange ovals over their heads which are, according to Thoth, are called, used to be called uh, the egg of metamorphosis. And you'll understand what, why metamorphosis is involved in this at one point. And they're walking along here, and then suddenly there's a 90-degree turn, 90 degrees, and they're now walking this way, into the stars, and he's uh, putting a sphere through the bull, which shows you how old this is, going back into the time of Taurus. And... Uh, uh, and I'm going to have to leave these for a while to explain what they are because we have a lot to lay down before this will all make sense but uh, these wheels are they're maps they are, they're telling you exactly where they went precisely where they, where on the dimensional levels and what they were doing and where they were going this is Leonardo's drawing again this is all introduction still it's Leonardo's drawing uh with a little bit of me on there. <laughs> I drew this uh, person sitting down here and some of this other stuff around there. This is going to be a very important drawing in what we're doing. Uh, though sacred geometry, as you will see, can discuss any subject whatsoever, it, there is no limit on what subject it cannot discuss and describe in detail. blinders on as I discuss sacred geometry. I'm only interested in one thing here. The purpose of this workshop is ascension, which is consciously moving from one world to another, bringing your body with you, which is a little different than resurrection, which is dying, and then afterwards, while you pass through the bardo, to consciously pass through the great void. Uh, and then reconstruct your body in that way, which is another possibility. It's just as noble as this one, but there's just another possibility as well. And, uh, and so, uh, in this one here, we are going to be concerned with ascension in the vehicle of ascension called the Merkaba. 
and and the understanding of the Merkaba comes from the remembering of the crystalline energy field that's around the body. This field, and we've had instruments that can detect this field very carefully. Here, uh, secret of the flower of life. Secret of the flower of life! Exclamation point. Hashtag Egypt Gaia show. We're learning about the secret of the flower of life on Gaia. Here below. One up there and one below. Up here. And, uh, but the Jews and the e Egyptians had a lot in common. They lived together for a long time. So I'm sure they were interconnected on this belief. Sure. 